This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to the latest edition of the Money and Markets podcast. It's our last one of 2022. I'm Dan Coatesworth and we've got a bumper episode with you. We're going to be looking at how the latest inflation numbers from the UK and the US are impacting markets. And with me is Danny Hewson. Hi, Dan. Can you believe it is almost the end of what's been a very bonkers year? We're going to be looking back at some of our favourite stories and there are plenty to choose from. Also joining us today is Laura Souter. Hi, I'm going to be talking scams, rate hikes and what it's meant for savers. And I'm going to be asking what happened to that lettuce that the nation got so obsessed with? Um, And not with the answer to that, but with his latest manager versus machine update is AJ Bell's head of investment analysis, Laith Calaf, who makes up our quad of presenters today. Yeah, I'm afraid I don't know where the lettuce is, but I will be talking active management. So with all the volatility, you might have uh, expected active fund managers to actually have a good year this year, but that's not been the case. And I'll be looking at that, plus updating you on the FTX saga as well. Now, we'll also be talking about Twitter, oil, trustonomics, how mega cap US stocks lost investors lots of money this year. And we drafted in a panel of fund managers to talk about the opportunities heading into 2023. It is a great big early Christmas present. So settle down with your favourite tipple and enjoy. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your pods so that you don't miss a single packed episode when we get back in the new year. Oh, I think we should start with a bit of positive news, Danny. Yeah, we don't get much of it, or it doesn't seem that we've had much of it this year, does it? Um, And certainly not when it comes to inflation, but... Finally, there has been a bit of sustained good news on the inflation front. I'm going to start with the US because uh, on Tuesday, we're recording this on Wednesday, so yesterday, uh, inflation numbers came in cooler than had been expected at 7.1% CPI. Now, that of course, stirred expectation that the Fed will indeed ease the rate of rate hikes. Uh, We've had four consecutive 75 basis point hikes. The expectation is this time it will be just 50 basis points, which seems nuts to be talking about just 50 basis points, but such has been the year to date. Um, You won't be surprised that markets responded incredibly positive to those inflation numbers. Uh, We saw the dollar losing ground against the pound and the euro, and we get the rate rise decision from the Federal Reserve later today, five hours time as we are recording this on Wednesday lunchtime. Now, overnight, Asia shares followed the trajectory. A lot of talk about whether we've hit peak inflation or not. However, European stock markets haven't held up quite so well today. A lot of concern about a global recession as those interest rate rises really start tamping down the economy. And we also had UK inflation numbers. Now, it's not totally bad news because they have come in cooler than had been expected, but honestly, not by much. We did have 11.1%. We're now at 10.7%. 
A lot of that has been helped along by the fact that uh, fuel prices have not been rising as quickly as we've seen them beforehand. Of course, we had record um, petrol uh, prices earlier this year, but it wasn't all good news. And when you look particularly at food, that was up 16.5% over the last year. That is as quick as we saw it uh, rise in 1977. We haven't seen it rise as quickly since then. And we also, as everyone's thinking about heading for a night out, it's Christmas time, it's brilliant to be able to get out, have a tipple, although you won't be celebrating uh, England playing in the World Cup anymore. Um, but a night out has also gone up. We saw that rate go up by 10.2% um, in the year uh, to the end of November, and that is the highest since 1991. And the big concern here is that inflation might be getting sticky. And we're going to talk strikes in a bit because obviously inflation is playing a big part in why these disputes are taking place. And we had jobs data yesterday, which showed in real terms, wages fell by 2.7%. Now that's the fastest fall since 2001. And the gap between the public sector and private sector pay is also widening. Now, the Bank of England doesn't want sticky. It won't like the fact that while we've seen core inflation and goods inflation down, inflation in the service sector was up. It was up at the fastest rate since 1993. And when we're talking about 10.7%, we'll look, you know, that's twice as fast as prices were rising this time last year. And Laura, a long way from the Bank of England's 2% target, which is likely to colour their decision making when they meet tomorrow. Yeah, so we're anticipating uh, another interest rate rise when they meet tomorrow um, of around half a percent, which if we think that we started the year where they just made their first increase from 0.1%, the fact that that would then take rates to 3.5% just shows how far they've come over the year. But unfortunately, the expectations still are that it's going to rise further from there into 2023. We expected to hit about 4% in February and then climb again in the spring next year. Now, the expectations, and this is kind of the consensus view from the market, it's by no means the gospel. Um, but the expectation is still that it's going to increase by less than they previously thought after that mini budget turmoil that I'm sure we all remember. Um, you're going to peak at a lower point, but still it's climbing further from here. And I'm going to be talking a bit more about the impact those hikes are having on savers later in the pod. And I know that Leith is also going to touch on bond performance as well. So before we get into our favourite, or at least the stories that caught our attention this year, let's just take a look at the other market moves over the past week. And for me, one stock that really jumped out, and perhaps this is a surprise to a lot of people, is Fraser's, the owner of Sports Direct. The half-year results showed a big jump in profit, but the stock market did not like the final details. So the share price is down 16% in a week. I think two, two of the things here that perhaps were sort of upsetting investors were falling margins and a lack of organic growth in the core sporting retail business. Because all the revenue gains from this area actually come from acquisitions. And perhaps investors seem to be worried that Fraser's could grind to a halt if it can't find any more businesses to buy. But I think what this view sort of overlooks is that actually Fraser's is all about going to do more premium stuff. It's got this thing called an elevation strategy, taking its scores up market and investing more in the online channel. And actually in that area, results have been pretty good. 
Yeah, it's funny, Dan, that you talk about the premium aspect of it because um, one stock that's caught my eye this week is the Zara owner Inditex, um, and it's posted a 24% increase in net profit for the first nine months of its fiscal year. And its online store and retail sales rose by 19% compared to a year ago, which is faster than most analysts had expected. And that's despite the fact that it's had price rises of 5% or more across some of the ranges all the way since spring, really, which when you consider that consumers are really under the cosh somewhat and, you know, Zara has always been the sort of store which attracts middle of the road, middle income people, uh, the fact that it has been able to pass on those price rises, I think has caught some investors slightly on the hop. And one of the reasons it's been able to do that is that Zara's got a really quick turnaround in terms of its fashion. And it's really focused this year on occasion wear. And because of that, and because there have been so many occasions, of course, you know, a lot of them were cancelled due to COVID. It's been able to attract people into the stores that maybe have never shopped there before that perhaps used to go on towards the sort of luxury brands. However, you know, we're still seeing that its shares are down 11% since the start of 2022. And just like with Fraser's, there is concern about margins going forward. There's been some strike action, which um, has led to uh, expected pay rises, which, of course, is is just going to eat into margins further. And the big question is exactly how much more can Inditex put on prices without putting customers off. Another one that caught my eye was Moonpig. Um, did fantastic time during the pandemic. You know, we're all stuck at home. People thought, well, I don't really want to go to the shops or you know, I don't want to queue up in the post office, surrounded myself with other people. So you, you just order a card online and you know, they, they even sort the postage out for you. But this year, Moonpig's had a real tough time. Uh, I think that there's a couple of reasons why. One would be, the cost of living crisis, people looking at their spending and thinking, well, you know, do I really want to pay three, four pounds for a card and a quid on top? You know, do I really, you know, can I just send a friend or a family a, a text message? Um, and we've also had the Royal Mail strikes as well. You know, if you've got something time sensitive, like a birthday card, and you think, well, okay, the, the, the postal strikes just mean that the card's not going to get there in time. I'm just going to have to perhaps email them, say, a, a, an online voucher or something like that. So, so poor old Moonpig has had these sort of two factors that have really made life really difficult for it. But I, I think here is that you've got a, a, another issue is that on a bigger picture, Moonpig was trying to accelerate its growth through doing more gifting. So the idea of um, perhaps you want to send a box of chocolates with your with your greetings card, or even you know at the higher level, you know pay for someone to do like a hot air balloon experience. Of course, these are natural areas where people sort of scale back their spending as they're watching their pennies. So you know short term, lots of problems, and that explains why the share price is down by more than two thirds this year. But long term, you, you could argue actually raw mails strikes hopefully will sort themselves out. Um, the cost of living crisis will also sort itself out. So, um, you know, I've, I've certainly seen a couple of analysts sort of saying, you know, if you take a longer term picture, that the, the share price weakness in Moonpig is an interesting opportunity. And I, and I certainly think that as a company, I will be watching pretty closely next year. 
You talk about those strikes, and it's interesting because the Office for National Statistics has brought back its sort of days lost to strike action that it has always done in the past and, and hasn't done for a number of years. And we had jobs figures out earlier this week, and 417,000 days were lost to strike action in October. That's the highest since November 2011. But if you take a look at the number for the rest of the year and add them all together, it's almost one and a half million days. And you have to go all the way back to 1988 to see a similar picture. And I've heard a number of small retailers, you know, saying the same story as Moonpig, that they're really struggling because consumers are cutting back anyway. And if there's any possibility that the stuff that they want to order for people for Christmas won't get there because it gets stuck in disruption, then they're just not doing it. We've also got hospitality warning that the rail strikes which are taking place at the moment, because it does look a bit like an advent calendar full of strike action, doesn't it? There's so many strikes Mm. going on. The rail strikes, um, hospitality is warning that it will lose £1.5 billion over the festive period because of the rail strikes. And that's on a par with what it lost last year to the Omicron COVID variant. And another um, sector which uh, we saw um, shares fall in a number of companies when this was announced, Border Force staff are going to be striking over Christmas, which of course affects airport, passport control, that kind of thing. And that is something which the travel sector really doesn't need. You know, that those pictures that we saw uh, Easter last year of people getting stuck at airports and having to queue for hours. That's just exactly what the travel sector doesn't want at a time when finally things seem to be going their way. Yeah, I mean, TUI's had its results out. Um, return to profits, you know, you know, a big rebound in earnings. Bookings are up on pre-pandemic levels because we know in 2022 that there's lots of pent-up demand. But, but equally, I think people were sort of a bit frustrated by disruptions in airports. So going into next year, I think there's a, there's a big risk here that people book their holidays as late as possible, partially because they might not even be able to afford um, to splash all that cash out you know, in, in the sort of the seasonal period where um, you know, tour operators and airlines see a big, normally see a big boost in earnings just after Christmas. People are a bit feeling a bit sort of down and thought, oh, here's, here's a miserable old January. I feel better by booking a holiday. Well, I think that you, know, you might not see this sort of big push here. So um, yeah, so I mean, a company like Tui, just you know, and, and pretty much lots of airlines as well, and you know, broader holding companies, thinking, you know, this is now we've done three years of this now of disruption. Please, please, can we have twenty twenty three to be a, a nice easy year? And I certainly don't think it's going to be that way. What amazed me though was Tui was saying that uh, winter holiday prices were up twenty eight percent compared to pre pandemic levels. That's a huge amount more for people to pay at a time when you know cost of living crisis is really affecting people. So, you know, I know a lot of investors are sort of watching what might happen over next year. Um, And it's been a a really tumultuous year, hasn't it, for stock markets? Uh, Long-running investment trends have gone into reverse, which you might have expected to mean that active fund managers posted some good performance. But that is far from being the case, according to AJ Bell's latest Manager versus Machine report. Laith Kalaf is with us. Uh, Laith, what are the figures telling us about the state of active management? Yeah, well, like you said, Danny, I think, um, you know, 2022, you might have expected active managers to pull one out of the bag. 
um, because of all the volatility and falling markets. But actually, it's been a pretty poor year for for active fund managers in the in the kind of seven big equity uh, sectors that, that we look at as part of this report. Um, so overall. Um, just um, uh, just over a quarter, twenty seven percent of active managers beat a passive alternative um, across those sectors. So that doesn't sound like a particularly good showing, and it's it's not. That's down from from thirty four percent last year. So um, not not a great result from active man- managers. I mean, there are some there are some things going on there. So I'd encourage people not to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and just think that um, you know all active managers are, are not worth their salt because I think I think you know from my point of view some are, but but as a group they haven't done well uh, this year. They've done better over over the long term if we're looking back over 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 a ten year period um, than actually at around four in ten. Um, have beaten a passive alternative. But uh, yeah, 2022 is a a bit of a year to to forget for active managers. What about in sort of UK um, equities? I mean, that's been particularly poor, isn't it, for active managers over the past year? Yeah, that's that's right, and um, you know, actually, that's probably um, affected the, the overall figures as well because so many funds that sit in the in the UK equity sector, but um, they're only thirteen one three percent of managers beat a passive alternative in twenty twenty two, so you're getting down to around one in ten. Um, and you know, there are there are a few reasons for that, but one of the one of the big things. Uh, that has 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 kind of created that statistic is um, is the very big divergence that we've seen in um, within the UK stock market. If you look at the FTSE 100, uh, so the big the biggest hundred companies collectively, they've returned around six percent so far this year. Um, if you look instead at mid cap, so the 30, FTSE 250. Uh, they've returned um, uh, uh, around minus sixteen percent, um, and sm- the small cap index has returned minus fourteen percent. So there's been a very, very big gap. The smaller mid caps selling off, and and the big and, and the big blue chips actually doing quite well. And the reason that that's relevant to, to active management management is that a lot of active managers will tend to be overweight, small and mid cap companies, and underweight. Um, uh, the big blue chips, um, and that's that's clearly hobbled their performance in in 2022. What's quite interest, interesting is that if you again, if you look over a longer term, and I always encourage people to do that because, like you know, a year is a very small snapshot. If you look over ten years, actually, the UK has actually been a pretty good place for active managers, with with sixty percent. Outperforming a passive alternative over over ten years, and actually the weakness that we saw in 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 twenty twenty two, which is this exposure to mid caps and small caps, has actually been a, a beneficial tailwind over the longer term because they have far outperformed the the big blue chips of of the FTSE one hundred. But that definitely didn't happen in twenty twenty two, and there are lots of reasons for that. A bit of it is is to do with with currency buoying the the share prices of the big blue chips, but also those big blue chips. Just think about who they are. You've got kind of BP and Shell up there, oil and gas companies, AstraZeneca, which has had a really good year, and defensive companies like like the tobacco firms, which is, have also had a very good year. So. A, you know, a wide dispersion of, of returns within the UK stock market, which has negatively impacted active managers. 
You won't be surprised to learn that we love a stat here on the Money and Markets podcast. And one that stood out is that the average US fund has outperformed the average UK fund, even though the S&P 500 fell into a bear market this year. So how's that happened? Yeah, a bit of an odd one, this. Um, uh, certainly on the face of it, because like you say, the, the S&P 500 fell into a bear market, which is you know a fall of more than 20%. Um, it's it's recovered some of it some of its poise to date, but it's still around kind of fifteen fifteen percent ish down um, so far this year. Whereas you know the FTSE All Shares actually just kind of nudged into into positive territory. Uh, but yeah, but US funds have done better than UK funds. Um, on average. And part of the reason for that we've kind of just talked about there is that actually UK funds have underperformed, um, tr- have under, have underperformed tracker funds. Um, and, um, and those obviously kind of replicate what the market has done. So there's been some underperformance from, from uh, UK fund managers in 2022. But another big part of the jigsaw is what's happened to our currency. You know, the pound um, has weakened considerably against the dollar down around at around 10% or so um, this year. And that has helped to boost the returns from um, from uh, North American funds, uh, from funds investing in the US, because all, all of those share prices are denominated in dollars, and there's a lot of dollar earnings from those companies. Um, so actually, although kind of the FTSE, the, sorry, the S&P 500 fell into bear market territory this year and is still down around 15%, the typical um, US fund is only, is only down around 5%. So, you know, if you're opening up your portfolio this Christmas and, and sort of looking, doing an annual review, looking at your US funds, you, you might not notice that there's been this huge, this huge fall in the US stock market because that currency uh, devaluation from sterling has, has insulated UK investors against those falls. I think just, just finally, Leif, what on the subject of tracker funds, what's been happening with charges? Is it, is it good or bad news on that front? Well, I think kind of if you again kind of zooming out to kind of probably over the last ten years, um, you know that I think tracker funds have generally been a very a force for good in terms of charges because there's been a very competitive market in tracker funds, and also that's put pressure on active funds to to lower their their costs as well. Uh, one of the things that kind of stuck out from the manager versus machine report that we pulled together was. Um, was was just how much difference there can be in passive fund charges, though, and this was particularly um, shown in in the UK sector in in particular. So, the cheapest UK tracker fund came in at 0.05% per annum. So, I think we probably all agree that's pretty cheap. Um, the most expensive came in at 1.06% per annum. So, 21 times more expensive. Now, that's just a bit odd because. Um, you know, these are not active funds. They're not differentiated in any way. They're largely doing the same thing, uh, but there are some funds out there which are charging twenty-one times more more than others. Um, so, um, you know, I suspect the people in those have probably been in them for quite some time and maybe haven't voted with their feet because you know charging structures have definitely moved on um, in the last ten years. Uh, but you know, the fact that there are still funds like that out there, even the kind of passive space, means that you know I think people still do need to, need to be vigilant about the the charges that they're paying. You know, even if it's within a within the within the auspices of a tracker fund. 
Cheers, Leith. So if you're spring cleaning, then it's worth taking a look at those charges. I know you and Laura are staying with us, going to talk through what we picked out from the crazy number of huge stories that have shaken and stirred us all in the past year. It really has been a year to tax confidence, but seasoned investors will know very well that it's when markets are down. That tends to be when opportunities present themselves. Now, to help with that, we've been asking a few fund managers where they're seeing opportunities as we head into 2023. And results are pretty interesting. So I think for some investors, this market sell-off that we have seen has given them the chance to invest in companies at much better prices. So here's George Ensel from the River Mercantile UK Microcap Fund. We can see that there is a large premium in the market for businesses with defensive business models and non-cyclical earnings, for US dollar earnings, and for liquidity and strong balance sheets. Smaller companies and microcaps are enormously out of favour following months of outflows from funds and low risk sentiment. This provides fantastic opportunities and the trust is fully invested. We recently added to specialist lender DF Capital, which trades at a 50% discount to book value and despite delivering a 6% net interest margin. We've added to fully funded early stage growth businesses like Cooth and ActiveOps at very depressed valuations. We've also increased our cyclical industrial exposure by adding to Sigma Rock, which is a Northern European quarrying business, and Renold, which is a global manufacturer of chains. Recent data from the UK government insolvency service illustrates deteriorating economic conditions, but should support opportunities to invest for litigation companies, Manalay and litigation capital. Kartik Kumar from the Artemis Alpha Trust has his eye on a particular part of the UK stock market. And he seems to be going into 2023 with much more confidence. In my view, the opportunity set across UK consumer cyclicals is really quite compelling. And the reasons for undervaluation are pretty common and well-known. UK stocks have been cheap since Brexit, and then you've had a pandemic war and a political crisis of confidence that's really compounded that undervaluation. And yet in front of us, we face an unusual recession where we've got record low unemployment and high nominal inflation, both factors of which are pretty helpful. Corporate balance sheets coming out of COVID are actually in a pretty robust position. So if you can buy a solid franchise with a good market position that you expect to exist um, and, and thrive in the future, in my view, prospective returns could be in the order of 20 to 30 percent, well above market averages. And that's because it's really quite compelling when you can buy a business on a low starting valuation with a prospect to grow earnings. And on top of that, um, have attractive capital returns. Now, oil and gas stocks, as Leith was saying, have been real winners for investors in 2022. And one fund manager believes the sector will continue to yield benefits for years to come. Freddie Late runs the Latitude Horizon Fund, and he's got some interesting things to say about two stocks in particular. So we trade extremely rare, rarely at Latitude, you know, looking to own these stocks for sort of five to 10 years plus. Um, but there are some other new investments that have come into the portfolio in the last few years. Um, in 2020, we invested in BP and Equinor, two stocks in the oil and gas sector. You know, two and a half years ago, believe it or not, a loo roll was trading for more expensively than a barrel of oil. Uh, and with oil prices trading at negative prices, it became pretty clear that contrary to the general perception, the supply side of oil and gas markets were in deep deficit, and we were likely to see years of higher prices uh, in the future. So we expect some pretty high cash flows from both companies over the current coming year, which will fund a more rapid transition into convenience, energy, dis energy distribution, renewable power generation, uh, and refining. 
And this should lead to much more stable returns in five to 10 years time, a higher valuation, and the shares are still trading at around five times PE. And there's a quote from uh, the sort of strategist Dylan Grice, who said, uh, you know, when you buy commodities, you're selling human ingenuity. Um, Well, I mean, given the political outlook and the political pressure there's been on breaking the supply side of the oil and gas industry, we actually see owning energy companies right now, uh, it feels very right in a world where political ingenuity, like oil and gas, frankly, is in such short supply. Smithson Investment Trust has had a tough year. Lots of growth stocks have derated. But manager Simon Barnard's undeterred. He believes that cheaper valuations create opportunities to pick up good companies. As increasing interest rates have brought down asset prices, we've been increasing the weight and number of what we call serial acquirers in our portfolio. These are companies that supplement their organic growth with regular small acquisitions in their existing product markets or geographies. We believe that over time they should stand to benefit from lower valuations of their target businesses, which will ultimately result in a very profitable boost to their growth. Now, this won't happen immediately because the sales price expectations of private business owners never fall as quickly as public stock markets. But over time, they will start to come down. Companies we own that fall into this category include Diploma, Halmer, Recordati and Didex. Jamie Ross from Henderson Eurotrust has been drawn to one of the biggest players in the music royalty space. And one stock has held up relatively well over the past year as investors become more interested in the long term income generating capabilities from this business. We bought a position in Universal Music Group during the year for three main reasons. The structure of the market, the growth on offer and the valuation opportunity. With regards to the structure of the market, it's a very consolidated market. The top three players in music content ownership control three quarters of the market. UMG themselves, about a third um, market share. So a consolidated market brings strong pricing power, brings um, high margins and, and, and decent returns. So we like that. With regards to the growth, we've had well over a decade of significant structural disruption in the music industry as the physical music market uh, lost share. Um, since then, so since about 2015, we've seen a significant turnaround with streaming and rising smartphone penetration bringing growth to the market. We think there's still very low penetration, so more growth to come. We think there's also an opportunity for prices to, to start going up, driving further growth. Thirdly, valuation. We think the valuation is reasonable. We think that this is a company that will generate good growth, good returns, as I've described over time, and, and we, we don't see the shares as being priced for that. In the short term, the opportunity um, which enabled us to buy a position was that people are very worried about consumer budgets being squeezed in the short term. We think this is a transient thing rather than a permanent structural thing, and this provides the opportunity. Some of the best opportunities can be found away from home, and Carlos Hardenberg is an expert in finding stocks across emerging markets. As a manager of Mobius Investment Trust, Carlos has his eye on places like India and among smaller companies, as he now discusses. We are excited about the prospects in emerging markets and believe the best time to buy is when sentiment is low. Right now, we are close to an all-time valuation low compared to developed markets. Our largest exposure is Asia, where we keep finding some of the most attractive investment opportunities. 
India, for example, is a $3 trillion economy today and has overtaken the UK to become the world's fifth largest economy. While the developed world remains worried about inflation, inflation in India is largely under control at 7% and is expected to peak soon. India is expected to keep up its growth trajectory and grow faster than other major economies at close to 7% this year and even faster in the years to come. We do not invest in the large and well-covered Indian companies like Reliance Industries, HDFC Bank or IT giants like Infosys uh, or TCS. We are finding smaller, less known companies that are carving a niche for themselves and growing much faster. With a small mid-cap universe of more than 4,000 stocks, there's plenty to choose from. We found one company, Persistent Systems, in 2018. Persistent Systems is an Indian technology company that offers digital engineering solutions across the globe to small and large companies like IBM, Wells Fargo, Cisco, John Hopkins Research Centers, and partners with leading software vendors like Salesforce, AWS, AWS, Microsoft, and others. That was Carlos Hardenberg from the Mobius Investment Trust. Now, don't forget, you can email us if there's a particular fund manager or company executive that you would like to hear on this podcast, and we'll do our best to get them on the show. Our email address is podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Right, it's time for us to grab our diaries and cast a look back through the bulging pages. And I'm kicking off with the lettuce. So this was the story of this year that I think really kind of grasped the mood of a nation at a certain point. It was the 60p iceberg lettuce from Tesco that had a blonde wig put on it and was crowned the winner of a bizarre competition after it outlasted Liz Truss. Um, in her term as Prime Minister. So this was a kind of stump from the Daily Star, but I think it really captured the madness of the UK at that time when there was so much going on politically. Um, At one point, 20,000 people were watching a lettuce on YouTube as Liz Truss announced her resignation. And if that isn't the most bonkers moment of the year, I don't know what is. Yeah, so I mean, that kind of leads us nicely into to trustonomics, doesn't it? So that, again, that sort of slightly crazy time. So, I mean, it's interesting to think that actually one of the the legacies of, of, of trustonomics uh, that is still with us is obviously that energy support scheme, which no one associates with, with, with trustonomics, but actually... Um, you know, probably would would have come about whoever was in charge, but 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 that was something that her and Quasi Kwarteng um, uh, put put together. Um, so um, you know, a pretty kind of disastrous um, mini budget, which was the kind of centerpiece of, of, of trustonomics. Um, I think there are probably some 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 you know, there's plenty of people who kind of believe in the kind of idea of kind of um, you, know, you know, kind of boosting economic growth by 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 cutting taxes. Uh, but uh, I don't think there's kind of um, much con- controversy about the fact that the way they went about it was 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 the wrong way. Perhaps the, the timing was wrong and certainly not publishing any sort of um, statistical backup from the Office for Budget Responsibility was a bit of a disaster and, and, and led to that huge chaos in, in the bond and, and pension markets. So a very brief dalliance with Trustonomics 2022 will be remembered for, I'm sure. I can't believe that that is only September. And when we were talking about stories that, you know, had sort of 
captured our imaginations this year. Um, it, it was hard to look back beyond September because there's been so much since then. But I did. I went back all the way to the 24th of February when, of course, Russia invaded Ukraine. And there's been so much impact on markets from that. And, you know, we've we've heard from the likes of uh, the current Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, because we've had a few this year, talking about the fact that that invasion of Ukraine has really impacted inflation. And we're in for a, a difficult ride before things get better. But one of the things that it did do, of course, is it put up the cost of a barrel of Brent crude. And I was taking a look at the figures. And if you go back to the 3rd of January, you were talking about just $79 a barrel. Within just a couple of months on the 3rd of March, it was almost $128 a barrel. And I remember talking to you, Dan, earlier in the year saying, well, barrel of Brent crude ever top $100 a barrel? Well, yeah, it certainly did. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> who could believe that we had $23 back in 2020? Today, we're looking at $81 a barrel. There's been a whole lot going on in between time. We could talk about those windfall taxes on oil and gas giants. We could talk about bumper profits. We could talk about divesting of Russian assets by the likes of BP, but that would take far too long. One of the things that caught my attention was the ever um, increasing sort of shrinking UK stock market. We haven't really had many companies um, do an IPO, initial public offering, and join the stock market for the first time. But we had lots of takeovers. So uh, I guess if you're a shareholder and you're holding one of these stocks that, are, that you know, receives a bid, you might get 20, 30% premium to the market price, which is which is fine. You know, that's essentially bringing forward a couple of years of potential returns for you. But the key issue here is that we've got uh, you know, you'll have to replace that in your portfolio with something else. Um, and, and you know, I just think that the quality of what's left is um, perhaps not as good as it was, say, 10 years ago in terms of the types of businesses. So I think this is this is a real problem. And, and I don't think we're going to see lots of IPOs, certainly in the first half of 2023, while markets are remaining a bit volatile, um, you know, I, I think is what widely expected to happen. So um, I think, yes, it's, yeah, it's a definite problem. And I think the UK stocks being so cheap, we're just going to see even more takeovers going forward. One positive bit of news from the year, though, I think was for savers. So anyone who had money in cash savings did very well out of the year so far. Um, so if we look back at this time last year, so we're looking kind of mid-December last year, then base rate was sitting at 0.1% and the top easy access account was paying about 0.7%. So if we fast forward to now, base rate has obviously jumped to 3% or maybe even higher if uh, you're listening to this after the rate rise. Um, and the top rate for easy access accounts is now just shy of 3% at about 2.9%. So savers are actually getting a lot more for their money than they were. And that's because we've seen a big war in the savings market. And particularly with fixed rate accounts where some of those deals were withdrawn within days because so many people flocked to move their money into fixed rate accounts. Um, we had some data out from Money Packs today that showed that this time last year, a one-year bond was paying 1.4%, and that is now 4.5%. So it means that savers can actually get a decent return 
on their savings. The two slightly negative elements to this are that pesky inflation rate, which has obviously soared and eaten into a lot of your returns. Um, So it's been a very long time before a savings account can beat inflation. Um, And the other factor is that there's banks still pocketing the difference as they always do. And so lots of banks haven't passed on much of that rate rise. And it's the usual case that you need to ditch your provider and switch in order to get a better deal. Yeah, and, um, and and I guess part of the sort of, sort of same story of, of rising interest rates is what what's happened in the bond market this year, um, and probably you know probably global bond markets, but especially the the UK bond market, the UK ten year gilt, that's the government bond, uh, the, the 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 rate the government pays uh, to borrow over ten years has gone from around one percent at the start of the year to around three point five percent now. Um, so in terms of yields move in the opposite direction to prices, so that, that's led to very big price falls um, in bonds. So um, on the 10-year bond, that, that rise in interest rates um, so far uh, this year um, is equivalent to a 20% fall in its price, um, which is quite a lot for a bond, actually, because um, you know these are really kind of seen as safe assets. Um, and I think... Um, you know, one of my favourite statistics of the year, actually, is that there are some ultra-long UK government bonds, which are seen as very safe assets, which have fallen in price by more than Bitcoin this year. Um, so that that kind of gives you some perspective on quite what um, r- rising interest rates have done to pockets of the bond market. I love to think that you have a list of favourite statistics that you track throughout the year. It's very late. You'd like to think that, <laughs> wouldn't you? But you'll never know. <laughs> and I think one of the other interesting stories for this year is how people who invested in sort of the very large US sort of big tech companies would have lost loads of money. You know, the last 10 years up until 2022, this is the place for you to get rich, essentially. And I think lots of people have parked their money in this area. But this year, we, you know, you've seen Amazon, Netflix, Tesla, PayPal, all of them between 40 and 60% share price declines. I mean, it's, in, it's incredible, really. And it's kind of down to rising interest rates will make the, the value of future cash flows worth less when discounted back today. Their their growth is becoming harder to achieve. We've had lots of earnings downgrades here. Um, you know, and, and, you know, things like Tesla is sort of um, the the idea that the, the chief exec is totally distracted by um, takeover of another business. Uh, Meta, Microsoft, all being sort of looked at thoroughly by the regulators. Are they having too much market dominance? So there's a lot of factors here, which has meant that um, the the area which people become most comfortable in which they're holding investments has been a real nasty wake-up call. Um, and you know, it, a lot of people sort of looking at their portfolios and just scratching their heads going, I really hope these areas become much more um, fortuitous going into 2023. I love that you were trying not to steal my thunder there by saying chief executive distracted by the takeover <laughs> of another company. <laughs> Because I'm going to talk about Twitter. I, I don't think we could end a roundup of the big stories of the year without talking about Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. Um, I mean, it went on forever, Dan. April the 14th, we got the offer, and it was October 27th before he actually signed on the dotted line. I think there were certainly points in the year when I thought this is never going to happen. Were there points in the year where you thought that? 
Well, absolutely. I mean, he kept saying, "Oh, I'm, I'm do it. I'm not going to do it." Um, of course, you know, he during sort of various parts of the year, Elon Musk was selling down some of his holding Tesla to to try and raise money to fund the to Twitter takeover. So you know, it's affecting more than one company here. But you know, even today, we've got a, a you know a, a social media platform where every time you log on, something seems to have changed. So um, you know, I think this saga has got more legs to run. I think. I think it's got many more legs to run. We, of course, had um, the share offer which started it all off. And, you know, the fact that that had connections with the um, cherished holiday for marijuana smokers at 4.20, which uh, April 20th is uh, the day that many people celebrate that particular holiday. And I think that sort of raised eyebrows right from the very beginning. Uh, you know, Laith, you're giggling there, but it just... Well, I never knew amazing. that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is that why can't we have a national holiday is that should we should we be talking about a bank holiday for that day <laughs> well yeah but we certainly had a, a fair few holidays this year didn't we and uh, we saw the impact that that had on the economy so it might not be such a good idea um but you know clearly this whole saga for investors at the time it was just incredibly distressing to watch the share price fluctuating the way it did. And for a number of Twitter uh, employees who since lost their jobs and for Twitter users as well, concern about what's going to happen to the platform. Uh, As Dan said, this is a story that is going to run and run. And Elon Musk has lost his place as the world's richest man. Sob. Oh, yes. Poor, poor darling. Um, so, so yeah. So I mean, we're getting towards the more speculative end of 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 the kind of, uh, of of the investment world, aren't we? So we have to talk about crypto, um, I guess, and probably you know, a big story that's developed over the last month or so, which is which is FTX. Um, so um, we're, again, we're recording this on Wednesday lunchtime, and um, actually news that um, Samuel uh, Bankman Fried, who is the ex boss of, of FTX, um, has has actually now been arrested in, in the Bahamas and is facing. Uh, uh, charges um, in in the US, so pretty pretty serious stuff from him. Quite interesting. Um, this is a guy who was, um, you know, kind of very well known for uh, for kind of wearing jeans and t shirts and sneakers. Um, you know, even in the company of you know kind of presidents and prime ministers, and yet he chose he chose to wear a blue suit and a shirt to be arrested in, which I found quite quite unusual. Uh, but he's obviously dressed up for the occasion. Uh, but obviously, FTX, you know, a huge scandal, um, and and also you know a very a very kind of real warning sign for people who are kind of investing in crypto. I think if you're investing in crypto. You know, you're you're prepared for the volatility and the losses that come from the asset. What you what you don't expect um, is, um, you know, the, the the fact that the kind of exchange that's actually you know holding your money is going to go bust and take your money with it. Um, so I think that's that's kind of posed very real questions for the for the crypto industry, and and it sounds like we're also seeing very high levels of of withdrawals from other exchanges as a result of that too. So let's just round off this podcast by talking a quick thing about fraud. Because, Laura, Christmas is a time when people need to be wary. Yeah, definitely. And so what we've got this year is the combination of the cost of living crisis and also Christmas means that there's lots of money worries. And that is when scammers love to prey. So they essentially take pretty rubbish situations and really prey on that because that's a good time um, to catch people when they're vulnerable. We saw that in the pandemic and there was a big spike in scammers. And there's lots of warnings out now that this Christmas when people are um 
in financial issues is a time when scammers will strike. Now, I'm sure all of us have had the dodgy text messages on our phones um, trying to get us to clink on links for delivery parcels or offers from people. Um, But the latest warning that's come out from the regulator is on loan fee scams, which is actually something I'd never heard of. So it's quite interesting. It's about people who've applied for loans. They will then get contacted out of the blue by text or email or phone and offered a loan. And what happens is you're asked to pay a fee upfront for that loan before you're given the money. Um, And ultimately, the money never arrives. Um, But often scammers will carry on trying to get you to pay more admin fees or more deposits or even for insurance for the loan. Um, But actually, they're just scamming you and um, there is no loan. And so I think it's an interesting one to watch out for. It's the the perennial advice is don't respond to anything where you get a text or an email or a phone call out of the blue. Um, More often than not, there will be people trying to scam you out of your money. And also at this time of year, if you do need to take out debt, shop around, don't make um, a kind of knee jerk decision or a really quick decision, because a lot of these scammers will say, we've got this offer, we've got this deal, but you have to make a really quick decision on it. Otherwise, um, the deal will expire. So it's just a note of caution to be a bit more wary around this time of year. Well, thanks, Laura. Those wise words. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast this year. I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with a new episode in the first week of January. Until then, have a safe and Merry Christmas and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.